and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? So I am thankful, uh, I've mentioned this a fair few times, I'm thankful that I go to a very multicultural church. Yes. Because it's great because I get to spend time with people from all different countries and often, like last night, I was a m- minority. I had dinner with a group of my friends. Is it mostly Asians at your church? It's it's Asians, Africans, uh, people from South America. Um, it's okay. Very little Europeans. But yeah, I would North say, America? Um, no. No North America. No North so we're, we're missing one continent there. Yeah, that's right. And, and pretty much no Europeans. Not many Europeans are coming to us. Do you have any at your church? Any Europeans? I could say so. Uh, I'm just, I'm just thinking. There probably is. There probably is. Okay. But what I do know is we have lots of like Asians and Africans. That's like, that's you know, because they're the majority of the international students. And I'm thankful. Last night I went to dinner. Uh, well, we didn't go out to dinner. We had dinner at someone's house, and it was a a, a Japanese, a, uh, Viet- a Vietnamese, a Malaysian, um, a Bangladeshi, and then myself. Uh, so I was a minority in my own town, and um, and I. This is the norm if you're in Sydney. This is, this is well, this is now the norm <laughs> with my friends here in Newcastle. But it was also cool because I got to eat Vietnamese rice paper rolls made by a Vietnamese person. So it was just I was so just the, living, the authentic thing, dude. I was just living my best life, and then sushi made by a Japanese person. That's, that's, that's so like, like we're just the winning. authentic thing. That's right, and it was, uh, and I can say like it's some of the, some of the best that I've had. So I was I was stoked. So I needed to buy a tool yesterday. Okay, and so I called up tool shop. You know, as you do, did mm-hmm. some searching around online, found a tool shop that uh, stocked it. Called them up, like, nah, that's been discontinued. You know, oh, you have to get sad. it. You have to get it in off eBay from China. It'll take three months to get here. Blah 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 blah, all that kind of stuff. And then he goes away and looks, and he's like, you know what? And this is a, a tool shop that you find right across Australia. They've got, you know, in all yeah. different places. He says, let me just check and see if there's anywhere, anywhere in the country. Comes yeah. back and he's like, we have one in the store. We have the last one in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, put it on the bench, put my name on it, I'll be there. That's so awesome. we had date night last night and went and bought tools. It was fantastic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And somebody's already texted in on your thankfulness to say, you know, what a wonderful God that we have that he invented taste. Amen. You know, God didn't need to invent taste. Taste is unnecessary to survival. We could just have been born with an instinct to put things in our mouth and eat them, (laughs) but God gave us taste for no other reason so that we can enjoy life. Dude, totally. And he gave us peanut sauce to enhance that experience as well. Indeed, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, let's go to positively different news this morning. What do you got for us? Oh, so we've got we've got a few different stories here. Actually, coming out of the the UK as well as France. You know, gonna uh, good things can happen in bad places. Uh, no, I just offended all the, all the Europeans. But um, our first story here actually comes from um, the Thames, the river. You know, okay. the one that runs around uh-huh. London. Yes. So for a long time, it was declared biologically dead. From yes, it was from like there pollution. was nothing alive in that river. <laughs> like it was toxic. Dude. Yes, like and there's a few different places around the world like that. You know, you've got the Thames. You've also got like the Hudson River in New York. Like yes. it's just like yes. oh man, I saw this video and it was like um like a girl jumping off the side of a boat, like doing a dive into the Hudson River, and like 
all the comments. It's like an Instagram video where, like, man, she's got to turn radioactive. Like, she's <laughs> oh, done. <laughs> Who would ever do that? <laughs> like, it's so bad. But check this out. Um, after, you know, a lot of essentially reforms that came into place and in, in laws around pollution and whatnot in the River Thames specifically, um, the river's actually cleared up a ton. And because of that, there's a bunch of new sea life living in there. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I've been following this story for a little while, how some of the sea life has been coming back. Mm. And you get something that is dead like that, and it's like, would anything ever try and recolonise that particular river? And, well, there you go. And they are. So they believe that up to 115 species of fish have come back to the river. So they're, like, swimming around there. They've also got – they reckon they've got a couple of, um, like, bottom-feeding sharks that are – Swimming around at the bottom, like just like you know, small small sharks that that get around the river, um, as well as seahorses and eels, and this is just different, you know, uh, eels, dies. Eels can kind of live anywhere, can't they? Yeah, but it's disgusting. Uh, uh, eels are like, okay, eels are an animal that things. I disdain, like just because they look gross. I'm like, they're like worms, but in the sea. And I got to tell you, freaky. I got to tell you an eel story, right? <laughs> And, and okay. if you've got an eel story, then uh, call it through, 0491064669. So we lived at this place. Um, we had about five acres there, mm. and we were short on firewood, but the creek was full of trees that had fallen over into the creek, you know, as a lot of creeks do. Mm. And so I went down there and towed all of these logs out of the creek and cut them up for firewood because, you know, they've been dead for like a million years and it's, they dry out easily enough when it's just water and not sap. Mm. And stacked it all up on my fireplace, on, on, my, on my wood pile, Anyway, um, come wintertime, I start to split some of these, this stuff up, split one up, and there's an eel inside of it. It's been there for two months. It's still alive. Without water? Two months without water. It was in, there was wet clay that had washed into the, into the log where the, <laughs> the white ants had eaten the log out, and it was inside that wet clay, and it came out alive. And so I actually took it down, put it back in the creek, and it swam away. Been there for two months. That is insane. It's nuts. But, but it it's wasn't like, eating anything. No. <laughs> there was, and, I, and I've, I've gone back home to sell. I'm like, guess what I just found? Living in our wood pile. And she's like, what? And I'm like, a fish. A fish. <laughs> An eel. Living in our wood pile. <laughs> that, they, are, they are wild creatures. Well, uh, there's a bunch of them now swimming around in the Thames, um, as well as probably one of the, the biggest, you know, kind of the most... Um, Notable return to the to the uh, to the River Thames has been seals. Wow! So seals hang out in the River Thames now. Um, Would never have expected and that. And eat fish and Grow swim around and, yeah, <laughs> and try not to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So so you know the local um, uh, the local like animal conservationists and everything who have been coming down and, and and the marine biologists and been like studying this. They're like, this is quite a phenomenon. They're like, this is insane. But, yeah, so seals are getting around in there now. And basically the places is just – the and how they've been tracking in terms of, like, the pollution and everything in the water. Because um, that was a big thing. It was, like, you know, the presence of, of pollutants as well as a lack of dissolved oxygen in the river because of the presence of, of pollution. That's, like, what killed all the fish. But apparently, yeah, from what they've measured, there's so much more oxygen in the river now because there's so much less – pollution and it's just the it's continuing to go that way so in the future we could see dude a thriving river thames 
and my, then my, my, yep, I was just going to say, and then all the zombie eels will come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was walking across a paddock in a heavy rainstorm one time, and there was a heel, uh, an eel going across the paddock because eels will go over land in heavy rain from time to time. And his dog grabbed it, you know, as a dog will, uh-huh. grabs his eel, and the eel slithered straight out of the dog's mouth and kept going because it was so slimy the dog couldn't get a grip on it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm. I don't know if I want to hear, uh, hear any more eel, 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 eel stories. Eel stories, are, eel stories are almost as much fun as snake stories. Eel stories. Well, because eels are eels dangerous. They're just, a, they're just the snake of the ocean, is what they yeah, are. Yeah, but do they do they do anything? Uh, electric they, ones might. Do they? Yeah, yeah. It's electric. We don't have eel. those ones here. Yeah, but do they have like? Venom or fangs? No, or oh, there's no, no. There's a sea snake, it. but that's actually a snake. That's just a snake. Yeah, some of them will bite. They get sort of territorial, more okay. eels and so forth. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of sending shivers creep, down my creep, spine. Creeped out by eels. <laughs> In other news, coming out of France, actually. No, let's 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 continue with the UK. Let's continue with the UK because this is also cool. Um, what else is going on in the UK is that the government has made it illegal to build houses without electric vehicle charging ports. Whoa, that's so, that's that's so that's they, pretty big. They have a have quota. They, have they made it illegal to build houses without solar panels? I don't know. Because to me that makes even more sense. Yeah. I think that probably the problem doing with that the well. problem with doing that is that it overloads the grid mm-hmm. on sunny days. Yes. But the way the solution to that is then pumped hydro. Yep. That's right. Pumped hydro, the, the number one solution for every electrical energy problem. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, uh, the UK government, they want to install 145,000 charging ports a year until 2030 because that's their goal. 2030, no more cars, no more, uh, you know, petrol, cap. petrol powered cars or diesel yes. powered cars, like full ban, like full ban. That's it. 2030, you're not allowed to sell them. I thought um, you could plug an electric car into your PowerPoint anyway. These are fast chargers. Yeah, they? they're putting in like high speed chargers. High speed chargers that, because it's like, there's different types of like plugs and stuff, right? Like the. Yeah, but I've got a mate who's got a Tesla and he can just plug it into a PowerPoint. Yeah, but then it takes like. Four eight hours, hours to, to charge. Eight hours to charge. Yeah. yeah. So no. So this like the big point here is they're like doing the because oh, I've seen them before when I've when I've been hanging out in um actually like garages and motorbike tracks where you have like the big plugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those like ones that have like five prongs that you put like in, like like a three phase plug. That yeah, that that kind of thing. Yeah. So they're just going hard, putting all these like massive you know, EV charging stations and things in-house because, yeah, they've got to hit their quota of 145000 as well as they're sponsoring a ton of renovation to go into already existing apartments and houses and supermarkets and all kinds of things. See, this is really good because electric cars have such short ranges. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that if you run out of fuel on the side of the road, then you can run an extension cord over to a house and just sort of grab a bit of power. Yeah. Keep going. I wonder if people get like, you know, territorial about that kind of thing. Like if you were like, because I don't know, I feel like if I went up to someone and was like, oh, could I, I don't know, uh, if, siphon some fuel out of your car, that would be like, uh, what? <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, maybe people are just kind. You can just plug it in anyway. Yeah, but electricity is certainly a lot cheaper than filling you. Um, I think it takes, what, $3 to fill up the tank with electricity. <laughs> Dude, for sure. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yeah, somebody's texted through to say, eels are a delicacy in many countries. They survive, obviously, anywhere. 
Not sure how they cleaned up the river, but it proves that if they can do it there, that can be done anywhere. Can't wait till we get to heaven and actually see perfectly clear and clean rivers. Dude, that was like, yeah, during COVID when no one could like drive around Venice in boats and then like the whole of the rivers just yeah, like completely all the, clear. And, and, and Venice is like muddy as. It yeah. is so muddy. You can't see an inch into that water and yet you could see the bottom of all the canals. Yeah. What was amazing to me was travelling to Fraser Island and looking at the creeks in Fraser Island mm. where, or, or even went snorkelling in the lake. There's not much to see because it's so clean that nothing lives in it. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the water is so clear you can't see the surface. You can't tell how deep it is. It just looks like sand. That's insane. That is nuts. Well, that's like we have the Fraser sand- Island is spectacular. We have the sand islands in Lake Macquarie. Have you been there before? No. So they're ba- well, they call the sand islands, and they're just like a bunch of little spits of sand, you know. And then there's like the connected to the shore. It's just like on the other side of Lake Macquarie, and it's completely clear. They used to go there all the time. Like growing up, you drive your boat in, chuck the anchor down, you can see the anchor on the floor. And you just walk around and hang out with fish and swim under the boat. It's the greatest thing ever. So we've got a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to look forward Mm to. Okay, so we talk about the the Haiti 18. A lot of people have been talking about the Haiti 17 because there were 17 missionaries that were um, taken hostage there Mm. over a month ago now and are still being held captive in that particular country. Among that, there are five children, one of them who is only eight months old. Now, the reason that uh, I call them the Haiti 18 was because they took the bus driver as well. Mm. Why do we not count him just because he's Haitian? (laughs) So there were 16 U.S. citizens, one Canadian citizen and one Haitian citizen that were taken uh, captive there. And uh, two of them have just been released. We don't know why. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know whether you know somebody coughed up the money to get them out or what actually happened there. But they were taken uh, captive by... These were missionaries uh, doing a mission trip to Haiti. Um, they were taken captive by the Mawozo gang, um, who is asking $1.34 million per head to have them released. Uh, the, the problem in Haiti is that there have been over 800 abductions in the last 10 months. Over 800 people who have been abducted and held for ransom in the last 10 months. And re- the reason for this is that over half of the country is now run by gangs. That's it's, not run, it's not run by the government. It's not run by warlords. It's actually run by gangs. Uh, which is probably the height of, we've talked about this before, the height of anarchy. Mm. And uh, so these gangs are obviously trying to um, create revenue to be able to survive and fund themselves and so forth. And this has become the most lucrative thing that they can do. So this, for this reason, you know, most countries have pulled out all of their citizens where they possibly can to get them out of there. But it's also resulted in, you know, all the hospitals are closed, all the schools are closed. Mm. You know, the country is, uh, people are starving. There's fuel shortages. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, Port-au-Prince has been taken over. That's the capital has now been taken over by gangs. It's a terrible place. We need to, it's a terrible situation in a great place, I should say. We need to be praying for Mm. Haiti and for the rest of the Haiti 18. Now, I did say that we would talk about uh, Revelation chapter 16. So I'm going to read to you something interesting from Revelation chapter 16 that, you know, for a long time I've been preaching on this chapter and sort of, you know, you preach it and you think, wow, that's pretty wild, that's pretty out there. Would something like that ever really truly happen? You know, sometimes the Bible makes big claims and you just look at the world and like, how could that happen? 
In verse 13, it says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, Mm. and the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, what's interesting in this chapter is you have a union that is formed between the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. These are religious entities coming together to then go out to the kings of the earth, the political leaders of the world, to gather them together. So you've got a global gathering together of the major religions of the world just before the return of Christ. Mm. And I look out at the religions of the world and I think they are so divided. How could that ever happen? But the Bible says it, so I believe it. Recently there was a um, major health conference held at the Vatican Um, And it's interesting to notice the list of speakers that were there and who presented at this particular health conference. You had Chelsea Clinton. Um, Now, she's a major worldwide advocate in, on, on behalf of abortion. Okay. That, that's her big thing. That's what she, that's what she kind of does. Um, And she's a supporter of global abortion initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. That's very anti-Catholic. I'll say. Another next speaker, (laughs) Deepak Chopra. He's a spiritualist. Uh huh. You know, this is spiritualism, uh, joining forces right here. He's into transcendental meditation. He's a mystic. He actually claims that he will never die; that he's become uh, immortal. That's so insane. It's 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 interesting to to see the group of people that they actually pulled together. Uh, you've got Joe Perry, uh, lead guitarist for Aerosmith. Not sure oh. why he was there, but he was. <laughs> you've got uh, Albert. Uh, Baller, who is the, the CEO of Pfizer, who uh, Pfizer's made $26 billion so far this year, which is interesting. If you take 26 billion seconds, that's 806 years. Yeah. That's just nuts. Dude, what's, he, what's his name? Ball? Uh, Borla. Borla. Well, he's yeah. balling now. Like, <laughs> he's, he's winning. Then you had uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Bansell, who is the CEO of Moderna. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither of these people are Christian people. They're not, you know, uh, religious people at all. And she identified herself as the solution for the future health crises oh. that our world will face. Um, you had Anthony uh, Forsey, or Forsey, uh, who is heading up the COVID response in the United States. So interesting, interesting list of speakers. And what you can see here is a coming together where it's like, well, we don't actually care what your spiritual background is. Mm. A global gathering together. And when I see something like that, I see a level of, you know, the fulfillment of what the Bible says in Revelation, or the beginnings of, the beginnings of, you know. Um, where you've got different groups reaching, basically reaching across the gulf to grasp mm. hands with each other that in the past would have been so diametrically opposed from each other that you would think, okay, these, these groups are going to go to war with each other. They're not, they're not going to unite. Um, and, of course, this has been driven by the pandemic. So it's interesting to see how the pandemic is actually driving the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in you know, in some of these areas, and driving a form of unity. Mm. Now, I must say this, not everything about unity is bad. We need to recognize that. You know, the opposite of this is these groups going to war with each other, and we don't want that. No. And we've done that in the past, we've seen that in the past, and that's terrible. But at the same time, when you start making compromises, I mean, are you seriously going to invite a spiritualist or a full-blown capitalist secularist to come and present at a church? Mm. 
You know, this, just it's just like <laughs> this is pretty wild stuff, and we are seeing it happen, which tells me that's one step closer to the fulfillment of Revelation 16. It is mm. one step closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And by the way, for those of you who are wondering about this particular passage in Revelation 16, it is what we call a parenthetical uh, passage within the chapter because the chapter is all about the seven last plagues. Mm -hmm. And what the Bible will often do, particularly in Revelation, it will start to tell you a whole bunch of things that are going to happen in the future and then it will stop and put this section in parentheses and explain how did the world get here? And so these are events, you know, these verses refer to events that actually take place before the plagues and explain why the plagues come. Because the world has gathered together, uh, all of your different religions have united together, but Mm. not in a good way, because by doing it, by uniting together, they've done away with what the Bible says, because you can't have doctrine if you're going to have unity with spiritualism, uh, Protestantism, Catholicism. You 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 bring all of these together and you're not going to have biblical unity. And so it is a gathering together against God, Mm. which is one of the instigators of the end time events. So another step closer to the return of Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Save it in your phone. Joining us on the phone uh, for our monthly update on apologetics is Dr. Sven Erstring. Dr. Sven Erstring, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle and Lawson. Good to be back with you today. So as our apologetic uh, question this week, I understand we're going to be discussing the question of are the New Testament Gospels reliable biographies of the life of Jesus. So there's a number of things that immediately come up. You know, there's all of the uh, the contradictions that people throw up, you know, like was it one angel or two angels, uh, you know, etc. that, you know, you, you find these minor differences between one gospel and the other. Then you've got the Gospel of John, which is quite different in many ways. Mm, yes. Okay, yes. so how do we how do we deal with this? Well, first of all, I want to just really... Uh, stop and pause and think, um, what is the significance of this? So, for example, uh, down in history, there's been a number of very famous people, uh, Hannibal, uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Queen Victoria, and, and the list could go on. Uh, so, But, you know, the reality is, Lyle and Lawson, if you don't read the biographies of any of those people, it probably doesn't matter. You could get on with life without them. Uh, but the reality is that Jesus is different. And in the Gospel of John, which you mentioned, Lyle, um, right at the end, John actually says the purpose of his biography. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, his, his close friends and followers, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so literally... Jesus, uh, according to the, the biographies in the Bible, um, is someone unique, someone special. He's the Christ, the Son of God, and you can have eternal life. So there's literally hope beyond the grave, uh, hope beyond death, uh, if you believe in Jesus. And if we go over to uh, Hebrews, another book in the Bible, uh, it says, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. So, you know, lots of people were presenting messages from God, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom 
he also created the world. So, so what the Bible is saying is that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he's the creator of the world. So this is very, very significant. If um, And we need to work out, are the biographies reliable? Um, and if so, then, then this person is amazing. Jesus is um, literally somebody who can change your life love. Absolutely. So a very, very different person from uh, Hannibal or Julius Caesar. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the question is, how would we determine whether the biographies of Jesus um, are reliable? And I want to say that there's, there's uh, three main uh, ways we can do it. Number one, first of all, we can look at the external evidence. So were there any other historians who actually um, discussed the life of Jesus and uh, what they said, does it correlate with the Bible? So that would be the first one. The second one would be to, to check the, uh, the manuscripts themselves. How many manuscripts do we have? And do they um, converge to, to a common story? You know, there's a, there's a story which is, um, you know, right at the center. And then a third one would be to dive into the gospel themselves and say, okay, well, when we go in, um, inside the gospels, do we find evidence that they are reliable? So those are the three ways we're going to do it, uh, Lyle. We'll probably mm. maybe get through uh, maybe the first one or, or the second one, um, and we can do a sequel uh, to the reliabilities of the biographies of Jesus. Fantastic stuff. So we'll be back in December with uh, part two. Yes, yes. So, And that would be really, really good because that's leading up to Christmas, as you would know well. And, and that's a good point, Lyle, because um, Christmas, there's another uh, major character um, in Christmas, and that's Santa Claus. And, and the interesting thing is this, is that the Santa Claus we have today is nothing like the historical person on which um, his character is based. Yes. And so the, the question is, um, you know, who was the real Santa Claus or St. Nicholas? as we might say. And, you know, that's another whole uh, topic which we don't have time for today. But it, it brings us back to who was the real Jesus. Mm. Who was the real Jesus? Mm. I mean, the, the, the history of, of St. Nicholas has been so drastically rewritten um, over the centuries that nobody has any idea of, you know, who he was anymore. Um, could the same thing have happened with Jesus? And we've now lost yeah. track of who he actually was. That's right. That's right. And and you know, if you go on on Google and uh, you type in uh, where did our red and white suited Santa Claus came from, uh, the top link is to Coca Cola. So so the the Santa Claus that we know of today that's down at Westfields or um, you know another shopping centre nearby you, uh, that Santa Claus has actually been um, created. Um, significantly by Coca-Cola. So the question is, uh, did the medieval church uh, actually create a Jesus who never existed? And that's what we want to find out. Mm. All right. So Let's dive in. So let, let, yes, let's dive in. That's what I was going to say as well. So first of all, what we want to do is we want to go to external evidence. Is there any evidence outside the Bible which would confirm who Jesus was, and, and and can we learn anything 
from from history. So we're kind of saying, okay, let's put the biographies aside for for a moment, and let's explore history. And and the incredible thing, Lyle and Lawson, is that there there is historical evidence. So uh, the first and this is this is much the same as what we would do with, say, Julius Caesar. You know, we would uh, we, we we would look at his history of the Gallic Wars, and then we would say, okay, did anybody else write about this to to give it um, some authenticity? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And and if there's major major difference, if there's uh, real contradictions, then uh, we would know. Hang on a minute, uh, there's some exaggeration happening here. Exactly, exactly. So I want to take you to uh, to four. Historians, so three of them Roman uh, and one Jewish. So, so these are not Christian uh, historians, and just see what they um, they said. And and the first person I want to take you to is is a guy called Suetonius. It's another name that you'd normally uh, give your give your child, <laughs> or, or uh, you'd normally want to to, to be called when you're um, at school. But it's interesting. He he wrote about the lives of two Roman emperors, Claudius and Nero. Claudius and uh, Nero. And uh, in the in the life of Claudius, um, uh, Suetonius tells us that since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Christos or Christ, he expelled them from Rome. Now, this is really interesting, um, uh, Lyle, and you might say, well, that's a very small detail, but it's very significant. Um, first of all, because in the book of Acts in the Bible, uh, Luke actually records that two friends, colleagues of Paul, um, Aquila and Priscilla, were kicked out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius. Uh, because they they had a Jewish background, which is very very interesting. So here we we're starting to um, build up a, a, a case. We're seeing, hang on, what the Bible is saying is actually correct. But this also this this quote also tells us um, that um, the Christ was the um, um, was the was the originator of a group of people, which we'll come to in a minute, and. Uh, that there was there was some conflict that was happening between um, Christians, followers of Christ, and the Jews. So let, let's go to the next statement that, that Suetonius makes, and that is in his um, uh, history of Nero, biography of Nero, and he says punishment was inflicted on the Christians, a class of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and first of all, what you have to notice is that he calls Christianity a new and mischievous superstition. Mm. So certainly, what you can say is Suetonius was not supportive of Christianity. Not at all. He, he was not friendly. Um, so he had no reason to uh, to make things up, to create a myth. But what he's saying is there was a group of people living at the time of Nero um, who were called the Christians, and also that they were experiencing persecution. Um, very, very significant. It's a small detail, but it's a very important one as well. Yeah, and this so is this is within funny. fifty years of the time of Christ. That, that's absolutely right. This is this is uh, very contemporary history. I would put it that way. Mm. Uh, and and what we're having is we're, we're having small details, which are saying to us, yes. 
um, uh, there's, there's historical details in the Bible which correlate um, to other historians as well. So moving to another historian, um, well, this time actually a, a governor, a governor called Pliny the Younger, and uh, the uh, Pliny the Younger uh, was was governing in um, in Turkey, Bithynia. It's a, it's a modern part of Turkey, um, or, or modern Turkey, and he was uh, uh, governing a, a province there. And he writes to the Emperor Trajan, who's effectively like his kind of mentor, and he says, "I've got a problem here." I've got a problem because there's a group of people called the Christians and I don't know what to do with them. Uh, and, he, and he says, you know, I, I, um, I bring them in, I interrogate them, I, I threaten them, um, and, and if they persist in their beliefs, I order them to be executed. Uh, so, so he's, a, you know, he's, once again, he's not friendly to Christianity. But he, he gives a description of what these Christians were, do, uh, were doing at the time. He says uh, they were in the habit on a stated day to meet together before it was light, before dawn, and to sing a hymn to Christ as to a God. And then they'd make uh, vows, commitments, um, not to do anything wrong. So they, they wouldn't um, be involved in stealing or adultery, that they would keep their promises, uh, that they would. Um, they would protect the things that were given to them, and when when people asked for it back, they'd return it. And um, they'd also they'd have a simple meal, um, and, and they'd have that um, to, together as part of their their celebration, their, their their worship, their meetings together. And he also says um, there were two women who are part of this group called deaconesses, and. Um, uh, and when I talked to them, I found out that, you know, they, um, they, they were really doing nothing wrong except they had this new religious faith. And, and so he said, what do I do with them? Uh, and it, it's really interesting that, that you find this interchange going on. And once again, you have a number of details right here. One of the most significant is that Christians at the time of Pliny the Younger, and this was 112 AD, so this is very close to Jesus' life, were actually singing to Jesus and, and considering that Jesus is divine. Really, really important. But also that they are living a moral and upright life, uh, that they had a meal as part of their celebration. They also had deaconesses who were serving. So uh, this might not be the haystack which uh, Lawson loves, uh, but it was certainly... I, I, a time where, where there was hospitality and fellowship as well, and that they were um, being executed for their beliefs um, too. Very, so very significant. Very much backs up the Bible story. We've got a little bit of time left. I'm wondering whether you can uh, just run through the last couple of ones fairly quickly. Yes. So the, the, the third one is Tacitus, and Tacitus tells us the story of how Nero, to try and get, a, get rid of the suspicions that he was the one, that set fire to Rome, um, put all of the blame on the Christians, and that the Christ was the one who had uh, been executed by Pontius Pilate under in the reign of Tiberius, and that this this religious faith had stopped and then just restarted very suddenly, and then had spread not only from Judea to Rome and even beyond. It was still going 
um, even at that time. Amazing. Uh, a lot of details, particularly around the death of Jesus, and also a hint at why it may have restarted. And then we come to Josephus, the um, uh, the Jewish historian. What we find there is is a summary of Jesus' life, that he, he was a wise man, he was a teacher, he, he performed surprising deeds, things that we wouldn't expect, um, that, that he uh, was accused by the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. He was executed on a cross, uh, that, that it was reported that he came back to life, and that there was still a group of people um, to that day called the Tribe of Christians. So there we have, Lyle and Lawson, four historical accounts which, which confirm so many of the, the details of the life of Jesus. Now, we've got more to go, uh, so there will be our sequel. But that's the external evidence. And you have to say, wow, this is really um, uh, strongly um, connected, uh, that they confirm what the Bible says. And, and we can start on the road which says, yes, the biographies of Jesus in the Bible really are reliable. We're building up a strong case here, Lyle. And I think one of the things that jumps out to me is that in all four of these historical accounts, there is no contradiction with the gospel biographies. Uh, if you read, right. if you read any of the other biographies, if you read, you know, uh, Julius Caesar's Gallic Walls, for instance, you're going to find that, you know, if you read the Gallic side of that, it's going to be very, very different and quite contradictory to what Julius Caesar wrote, even though they yeah. were the losers. Whereas in this case, the ones who are the opposers of Christianity are actually confirming, and there is no contradiction with anything that the Bible says. Yes, yes, and and that means that there's there's um, a reliable story, a reliable account at the very center of what we're talking about here. When we read these accounts, we are reading um, not a Santa Claus who's been doctored up by Coca-Cola, but a, a historical person that died on the cross and, as we'll come to later, uh, rose back to life and can, can change your life as, as well. It's a beautiful, it's an amazing journey to go on, Lyle. Dr. Sven Erstrings, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to the next instalment as we delve further into the uh, the reliability of the gospel story. Uh, we're going to move on with the show now. We're going to listen. This is Daniel Renstrom with How Marvelous. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM. 